The title of the, the message this morning is, What is He Talking About? What is He Talking About? I want to give you one observation, maybe provide maybe a little instruction in God's Word, and then maybe think about, do we need to do any adjustments from that observation and what God's Word says? We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. That's the book of Colossae. It does have nothing to do with collisions and car wrecks or chariot wrecks. It's Colossians. Um, and uh, it's in about middle towards the end of the New Testament. It's on page 1203 in my Bible. That may or may not help you. Most of you do the digital thing. So I want to walk through a couple things with you first. Uh, but um, does anybody here know what the word jargon means? Yeah, sort of slang, not quite slang, but yeah. Jargon is specific terminology particular to a particular group of people or professions that if you're not familiar with it, can be quite confusing. Yeah, let me give you some example. Here's some medical jargon. When you're in the ICU trying to redo an IV because someone's BP is hypotense, the last thing you want is a code red that can result in a code blue that can give you arrhythmia stat. Yeah. Anybody, is your blood racing hearing some of that? Yeah, yeah you know exactly what we're talking about. All right. Um, the cardio doc said your ventricular patterns are not up to par, so we'll have to keep you overnight for observation to check your sinus rhythm. Sinus rhythm. And speaking of par, he has a tea time at 0700. <laughs> okay, a little bit of jargon there. I had a lot of fun pulling these together. I've got pages and pages of these notes. My wife said don't overdo it. So. This is help from my daughter. Uh, she said, if you're going to do a grand allegro, which is a movement, you need to do tombe, pas, debure, glissade, sade, shot, pique, chasse, tour, jete, susu, chasse, three, tours, or toure times three, susu, tombe, coupe, jete. I have no idea what that means, but that's ballet jargon. Ballet jargon. All right, should I stop while I'm ahead, or do you want one more one of those? All right, you heard that. Um, to do an adiago, you need to do a grand plie, a pirouette, a la seconde turn, brush derriere. I don't know, want to talk about it. Turn to passe. Extend rose, carry our carte, releve, paste bure, balance times two, chasse arabesque, panche, releve, paste bure, susu. She's embarrassed at her father and shaking her head. See if you can get this one. I don't know. I was going to ask my Deborah or, or other Deborah to demonstrate, but uh, you don't want me demonstrating. I'll hurt something. Um, so, 
for all the kids listening, try the force choke to chuck the enemy into the void to capture the objective and win that round before your AFC, but it won't work on NPCs. Everybody over the age of 16 is going, what? Maybe over the age of, that's video game jargon. Yeah, I have a whole list of those. Um, uh, I wish Dan was in the room. Um, he has a low ERA and a high number of IPs and Ks, which helps his war, but doesn't necessarily translate to Ws for some reason. Baseball jargon, sports jargon. Well, I could go on. Here's one. Let's see if you can get this. What's your 1020, Unit 14? We've got a 1080 on Broadway and need you to proceed 1039 before we have a 20. Give me your ETA. Radio communication. Radio yeah, police jargon, military. Some of you watch cop shows. Here's my other favorite cop jargon. My status is code seven. Do you want anything from DD? <laughs> code seven means I'm on a lunch break. <laughs> okay. Um, I've got more, but let me stop because I think you get the point. Let me, let me now... You got the idea, jargon. Sometimes if you're in it, you get it. And if you don't, you're like, huh? How about this jargon? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and other King James wording. What does hallowed mean? Okay, now, now I'm getting mess, messing with you. All right, hold on. All right, hold on. Rhetorical question, you can hold that thought. Um, Here's this thought. We need to evangelize the lost people group so they can hear the gospel so that they can know that he is the propitiation for their transgressions, the atonement for their sins, and the living sacrifice to redeem them to the Father. So you guys get that. Right. But what if you're not in this group? How about this one? You need the Holy Ghost to help you with your sanctification. I had a friend ask me, Holy Ghost, what are you talking about? Casper, the friendly ghost? I mean, what are we talking about? So here's what I want to flag to you today. Here's what I want to talk about. That's Christian jargon. Maybe that's another title for this morning, Christian jargon. What is he talking about? So imagine hearing all the phrases I just told you for the first time without any context or meaning. You'd be kind of going, huh? So a lot of us... These words, the jargon we use in Christianity, it can be confusing, especially out of context, if you don't know about this, and particularly if you haven't heard them much before. I had a non-Christian friend come up to me, and he said, why are there so many ships in Christianity? What are you talking about? He said, there's a lot of ships in Christianity. Ships. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, there's Fellowship, discipleship, relationships, stewardship, hardship, companionship, scholarship, messiahship, sponsorship, lordship, leadership, friendship, mentorship, membership, worship, pastorship, rectorship, courtship, ownership. There's a lot of ships in Christianity. And that's my observation for you all, is that we all speak in jargon, we all speak acronyms, we all speak in code, we all speak in jargon, because it simplifies things for us, it, it shortens the, the time to say some things. But the simple fact is, is we live in a postmodern society in the U.S., 
and that means it's a post-Christian society, and it's less nominally Christian, and the culture in our country isn't as familiar with this. That means we can no longer assume familiarity with the things of God, of Jesus, and the Bible by those that are around us. I'll say that again. We can no longer assume familiarity with the things of God, of Jesus, and the Bible with those around us. Survey after survey, when you look it up, demonstrates that biblical literacy in American culture is near an all-time low. Okay. Thus, those of us who grew up maybe in a different time, in a different place, or those of us who've been in the church for a long time, a lot of us perhaps even decades, or even more thankfully, and I'm thankful for this, those of us who have grown up in the church, we need to realize that we as Christians have our own jargon and our own code words and our own phrases. And if we're going to effectively tell others about Jesus, we need to be aware of our jargon. Okay? We maybe need to readjust how we speak to those who don't know about Christ. And what that means is maybe we need to drop using some of the $20 words <laughs> and emphasize English, vernacular English, not 1600s English, thank you, King James, nor Hebrew words, nor Hebrew culture, nor Greek words, nor Greek culture when we're talking to our, cult, our current culture. So that's the thing. Is it's how do we take this wonderful story, this message, and contextualize it in a way that's not jargon so people can hear. And, and that's really bringing us to our biblical text today, Colossians 4. And why do we care that Christians use jargon? And I want to read to you a few verses, and maybe we can camp out here for a few moments and unpack this. I'm reading to you from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. But in Colossians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 2 through 6. And I'd love for you to follow along. If you do not have a Bible, let us know. We'll get you one. Emilio's walking in just at a bad time for him, but good for you. So... <laughs> Does anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll get you one. No big deal if you left one home, don't, didn't have one. Okay. Okay. Good. Colossians, uh, again, right after Philippians, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And it says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. That's Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. To give you a little more context, this was written by a guy named Paul. His name used to be Saul. He's very famous in the New Testament. Uh, was going after the church, didn't like the church given his cultural background, and God got a hold of him and said, knock it off, I'm going to poke you in the eyes, Three Stooges style, you're blind for a couple days, and I'm going to take these away. I want you to follow me. 
And he said, all right. And then he ended up writing a large part over about half, or a, a big chunk of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. Colossae was a city in that era. You could go there, a region really of that era. You could go to this place today. It's in the Middle Eastern Mediterranean world. And they were wrestling with a lot of things. And then this um, is talking about how do you live out your daily life? And here, then Paul is saying, look, holiness, you know, in your work life, holiness in your family life, what does holiness in a public life look like? And it's really then zooming in on prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving, so that we have an opportunity that the, there would be an open door for us to share about Jesus. So just taking this verse by verse again, we ought to pray, verse 2, and we have this wonderful camp coming up in three weeks. Let's not wait for the camp. Let's pray now that maybe somebody would get to know Jesus this week. Maybe one of you, maybe I, can have a conversation with somebody that points them to Jesus. That's the prayer. And not only that, we're going to be thankful. There's a lot of nasty stuff going on, and you have many sources to remind you of that all the time. You need to make a conscious decision to look at the good that God has provided and be thankful for that, and be thankful even for the not-so-good because there is a role, a rationale, a purpose, and a reason for a lot of that. That's verse 2 very quickly. It's not the main thing I want to emphasize, because verse 3 also says we still need to pray. So I think there's a sense there, and, and this was incredibly convicting to me, is there's just this sense of prayer, 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 prayer. Pray at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the Word. And there's an open door that we probably, or at least I have realized preparing this, I have forgotten to pray for. Why am I not having opportunities to share the gospel? Why am I having opportunities and I share the gospel and people aren't receiving it? Why am I trying to tell Jesus about the, and it's just not happening. Well, did I pray and ask for an open door? Maybe go back to that. And think about that. That's a simple thing. And you can do that in your neighborhood. You can do that walking your dogs. You can do that driving on the way to work. It's very simple. There's no magic. There's no voodoo involved. This is God. Can you please open the door? It's because you're way too cool to keep to myself. I want to share you with others. And God, I think, usually smiles at that kind of prayer. It's been my observation and experience. There's this sense of so that we can speak forth the mystery of Christ. You'll have to invite me back another time to talk about what that means. If you think I do a decent enough job here in the remaining time we have. But that refers back to chapter 1, verse 26, chapter 2. It's talking about what is the mystery of Christ and who is this Christ. The main thing I want to focus on, let's pick it up in verse 4 though, is in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Is if, if we use some of the Christian jargon, is that clear to folks who don't know about Jesus? Yeah, not likely. It's possible. And God can use even his word, using 
in another languages, and we see that exact actually examples in the book of Acts. We see that even around the world today. I'm not saying let's not limit God, but what I am saying is let's not purposely put up things that make it difficult for other people in our daily lives to not understand what this Jesus is all about. That's verse 4. And verse 5 is conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. And that has a lot of aspects to it. The word there, you know, wisdom, I think everybody gets the concept, but towards outsiders literally means those without, those out of the building. We typically understand that to mean non-believers, and I believe that's, that's accurate in most commentaries. But wisdom, when you're speaking to anybody, is probably a good thing. And we don't often preach and teach on that as much as perhaps we could. But then, as Richard said, honestly, I swear to you, we did not plan this or coordinate. As Richard says, not only what you say, but how you live and how you love people speaks volumes. How are you handling things? And then uh, Katie had this thing about spilling coffee on Facebook. What's inside of you, you get bumped, it spills out. Is it tea? Is it coffee? What is it? Is it good? Is it bad? You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic. Are you remembering that you're a worship person? Or are you remembering that you're from Massachusetts and you give them half a peace sign? So you don't want to give half a peace sign. I'll give you the good half. Um, the point being is those without, those outside, those not with Christ, see that, huh, they're watching. And maybe you and you alone have the opportunity this week, somewhere in school, somewhere in traffic, looking at some of you particularly, maybe you're going to have that opportunity. And how you respond, how you act, what you say, perhaps even more importantly, what you don't say is going to have potentially eternal consequences. Not to put it all heavy on you, but we have an opportunity, and we need to just be reminded of that. And then making the most of that opportunity, are we doing those things that are, you know, fishing, evangelizing with, hey, I really had a good read in the Bible this morning, and most people be like, that's okay, good, weirdo, leave me alone. And some people are like, oh, tell me more. Okay to be called a weirdo. We'll get to that later on. But the point is, are we doing that opportunity? Just gent not banging people over the head with the Bible, but are we looking for those opportunities to share God's love, truth, and grace with them? Something to think about. Now, this is going to be the fun part. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Let me pause there, and can I give you an object lesson? I'm going to anyways. Thank you, Tommy, for responding <laughs> for me. <laughs> After this service, in a brief time, we're going home. I will then start the grill. I will then put a slab of protein on it and char it. And that's not really attractive to you, is it? Some of you are going, what? Let me, that's what jargon sounds like to somebody. Who wants to eat a slab of meat that's charred? 
Some of you do. I feel you, brothers. But I put a little salt on that steak. Brings out a little flavor. But I don't stop there. And this is for guys. This is like if you need a salad, you put a little parsley flakes on it. It brings out a little more flavor. I have this thing, my wife got lemon pepper. You ever try that? Like lemon stuff with pepper. It's a little offsets the salt. It's really good flavor. Okay, I'm starting to, I need to, what's that? Yeah, we're going to have lunch. I need, I have a little bit of pepper that goes with that because sometimes the lemon is a little off. You don't want to get too much fruit. Oh, I grabbed the wrong thing. I'm leaving that in there. Um, and then I've never told this to my family, so this is a confession, but I, I us usually put a little red pepper on there. Just give it that hidden kick. They never know. You can tell. And then garlic salt. Just to add, I think I'm going to finish reading this and say amen, and we're going because I'm hungry now. My mouth is watering. And then here's one. Again, the, the, um, this is a disclaimer. You know, this is not an endorsement of any product or anything. But yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Crazy mixed up salt. This just covers everything else that you forgot and just you know do a little. Psh. So now, who wants a charred chunk of protein or who wants steak? You know what I'm saying? That's the idea here. Let your speech be seasoned. Yeah. You, you get it? You, you get it now? All right. That is so cheesy. I'm sorry. Um, so that's hamburgers. This is, um, there's an element of being gracious. And, and certainly this is more than just pleasant speech. Certainly this is more than you know, being nice when you talk and not being, you know, all New England or grumpy, you know, that's part of it. Certainly there's an element of seasoning here, but, and certainly seasoned with salt doesn't mean salty. I need to clarify that as well. Don't be salty. What we're talking about here is that's appealing to those of us who like steak. That has my interest. I wonder what that actually is going to taste like now. And that is like, I want to try more. Can I have a bite? Can I come and see? Hmm. And what Paul is saying here in the Holy Spirit, led him to say here through this, let your speech be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt and lemon pepper and crazy mixed up salt and red pepper and whatever else the Greek is broad in that regard <laughs> so that you may know how to respond to each person that's the point and and the word here is not only just respond that we're sitting there waiting for someone to react to a question or ask us a question we respond to but it's really how do you interact how do you engage how do you just focus on talking with people what is the answer there so i know i sure can use the reminder of all of this and maybe this is a gentle reminder to some of you 
Maybe we want to adjust our approach when we talk to the broader community around us. Maybe saying the Christian buzzwords, the jargon, doesn't always help. Maybe it does. I don't know. But I want to look at a couple of examples with you if you're up for a little more discussion. And I really think I would point you to some resources that are publicly available, this church makes available, that we didn't even used to have five years ago. The Bible Project online is fantastic. And right now, media online, fantastic. An ability to think through some of this, to explore different words, explore different meanings, and explore different contexts. Encourage you to look those up and see if there's more things that you might have. I want to take in, in the last third of my sermon here, I want to take three words that we take for granted. We assume people know what the word means, but they may not. And I want to make sure that we as Christians, those of us who follow Jesus, know what they mean as well. Because sometimes words, when they get used a lot, change meaning, and they lose their meaning. And to quote the famous philosopher from Princess Bride, I do not think you, that word means what you think that word means. <laughs> Thanks for the three of you who chuckled at that. So the, uh, the sense is I spent a lot of time this past week with college students, and they use the word awesome way too much. And they use the word awesome almost as a, oh, does anybody have any more questions? OK, awesome. And what they really mean is, okay, you guys are ignoring me. I'm moving on. We're done. That's what awesome really means. It doesn't mean that was amazing that you were silent and didn't respond to my <laughs> Awesome. Sorry. That's grumpy old men picking on you. So the, the word I want to mention is Christ kind of central to everything we're about, or Christian. Christ is from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. And in the Hebrew, it's translating from the Hebrew, the Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word, which means one who is anointed. And Christ we often use as Jesus' last name, right? Some people do that in vain. Um, it's sadly, I think, devolved into a curse word that we uh, need to reclaim. I've actually been in football games with colleagues, and they'll say the Lord's name in vain. I said, why are you blaming him? He didn't drop that ball. Why don't you say Buddha? And it actually is awkward on purpose but it then leads to further conversations later on. So the Messiah is the one who is referred to throughout the scriptures in the Garden of Eden with Abraham, with Judah, with David, with Isaiah, and so on. And he is the one who will, is prophesied to triumph over evil and death. And the Messiah, or Christos, is the one who is going to restore God's kingdom. And I don't know that we stop and think about, yeah, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. I don't think we stop and think about, he's the one who was predicted to triumph over evil and death and to restore God's kingdom. 
And he's already done that, and that's active and available to us now. That has some pretty big ramifications. That's Christos, Christ. And then Christians literally means little Christs. And they were first called Christians. It's, it mentions that in, in the Bible, in Acts. Antioch, thank you. And it means little Christs. And it was like actually, yeah, an insult. It was meant to be derogatory. It's like mini-me. Oh, you're a Christ? Well, you must be a little Christ. You're a loser. It, and I love how God has redeemed that. But it was an insult, and it is a reminder to us as Christ followers, as Christians, that those without or outside of Christ don't get it. And there's animosity towards Christ. Do you remember last week, Easter, cross, put to death, whole thing? The, you know, that's what happened for Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And we get picked on as little Christs. And Jesus told us we would have that $20 word warning, Scott. We get persecution. We get picked on. It happens to this day. Even this week, I've seen it. But ultimately, we shouldn't be surprised the world hates us and insults us as we're little Christs. Ultimately, what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, what I've laid out for you is one who is going to follow the Messiah who restored God's kingdom and has victory over evil and death. That's what a Christian is, one who follows that guy. Christian has devolved into a lot of different things, and we actually apply it in this country as American cultural applications. And... I think we need to be very careful about that. Not even everyone knows what Christian means. It often means moral. It often means right wing. It often means whatever. But it's beyond this American cultural reference. It's someone who follows Jesus. So perhaps another way to self-reference is a Jesus follower or one who follows the living Messiah and tries to live by his teachings. That's very different and clearer than Christian. And other countries will look to the U.S. You used to be a Christian nation. You're, are you? Are you not? Norway, is that a Christian nation or not? I, you know, in that context, in the political, social context, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. So that's Christ. Do you have time for two more words? I'll try to wrap it up. Okay, you all being polite. Thank you. I'll hustle. <laughs> How about this word, ready? Gospel. It's not a category of music. <laughs> All right, it is, but gospel. It's not the gospel truth. It's not an adjective to define truth. Truth is truth. It's not an adjective. Gospel is why we are Christ followers. Gospel from the Hebrew is beser or besora, which literally means a royal announcement. Remember somebody coming in with a trumpet, do, 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 do. We got some news. 
And in the Greek, it's a good announcement. The word is euangelon, from which we get evangelized, which really means true news or good news. The gospel is good news. That's why we decide to follow Jesus, because he was telling us that God's kingdom was here now. We often think God's kingdom is, I just got to wait till I die, and then I'll be in God's kingdom. Eh, that's a buzzer. No, wrong. God's kingdom is available for us now. Again, Jesus restored God's kingdom, and he reigns in that. And here's the good news about that. If Jesus is restoring or has restored the kingdom, that implies there's a king. It's not you, it's not me, it's not anybody, else, but there is a king, and he is here to bring peace, forgiveness, generosity, love. This is an upside-down kingdom. Servants are the greatest. The first are the last, and the last are the... It, it's just like, what? It's totally different than any other kingdom we've, we've referred to. The four Gospels, again, are written accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but really, it's kind of hard to believe this level of good news when you first hear it. If you can remember back to that when you first heard it. Or if you think about it, stepping outside of a Christian context, you're saying the most evil axe murderer, child molester I know or I've read about can have God's peace and be part of God's kingdom if he accepts what this king did for him? Yeah, pretty much. That's what I'm saying. And that's annoying. That's, that violates my sense of justice. But I'm not that axe murderer or child molester. I'm also not Billy Graham. Probably somewhere in between. Maybe a little closer to Billy Graham. But I still sin and I still have evil, and I still have death in my life. I still fight God's kingship in my life. And the good news is that God's like, I've got a way to figure this out for you. That's the good news. That's what gospel means. I remember getting a phone call from a former co-worker saying, hey, you need to get down to this place. There's a sale on tools, and everything is 75% off. And every guy in the room says amen, because even if you don't need the tool, you need to go. <laughs> Before I was married, just, just so it was fine. But the, the point is that that's good news. I mean, buying a power tool for 20 bucks, that works. It was like 90%. That's good news. Thank you for sharing that good news with me. I want to tell other people. That's a power tool. Still, still works. Um, we were in Australia in 2004 in October, and I remember getting emails and a phone call of my wife's family in tears, just overjoyed the Red Sox finally won the World Series. <laughs> That's such good news. Okay, yeah. Red Sox. We're kind of used to it now. Yeah, another championship. No big deal. But, um, 
That's good news. How much more is this good news? God loves us. God has restored us. God makes a way for us to be with Him. God makes a way for us to live with Him and to live like we were intended to live, to, to live the way we were designed to live. And He removes evil from our lives via forgiveness and the cleansing power of His Holy Spirit. So we often say good news. We actually, I think, should say this is great news. And really, this is God's friendship story towards us. Another way to think of it, less jargon. Hey, you want to hear the gospel? Uh, what's gospel? Do you want to hear about how God wants to be your friend? Eh, interesting. Okay. Last one. And we use this word that I'm going to share with you in a moment. Um, almost as a throwaway word. If we follow Jesus, then we have grasped the gospel, which makes us want to be grateful and even excited and we need to be reminded of that. I need to stir you up for that. We have wonderful worship. I mean, let, let, we have, I'm seeing Stephanie in the foyer. I see you. I'm seeing Emilio. I'm seeing others right there. We have world-class worship in this church. I mean, seriously, these folks could be professionals, world-class. But beyond the technical competencies and skills, it's the heart of their worship that leads the rest of us into this. That's what I love about this church. And it makes me want to say hallelujah. That's the word I want to unpack. Last word. Hallelujah comes from two words. Hallel, which is Jewish for joyous praise and song. And Yah is kind of the nickname of God for Yahweh. It's a shortened version of that. It translates to praise the Lord. It, it, it means much more than that, though. Um, it means Hallel isn't like joyous praise and song. Yeah, that was like New England white and old and boring. <laughs> joyous praise and song. I don't get that. It really means boastful loud, borderline, obnoxious, boisterous shouting and singing and saying, this is great. That's the Hebrew. You ever seen like videos of Middle Eastern cultures when there's a wedding and they got all that stuff going on and it's just a cacophony and I just, I can't, that's the sense of what this is about. But it's more than that. It, it's a command. Did you know that? Hallelujah isn't, yay, hallelujah. No, it's like, yo, dude, you got to praise God. Get with it. It's a command. You're, when you say hallelujah, you're commanding someone else to give God glory and to praise him. And it's implied, again, that it's energetic. And it, it kind of, when we say this, all right, the translation of hallelujah, hallelujah, is praise the Lord. So who actually talks like that? Like, praise the wife. Okay. And every man in here said yes. Yeah. Praise my dog. 
praise the bank, praise my job, praise my boss, praise. We don't tend to talk like that. It's a little stilted. It's a little old, but it, it's really a sense of recognition and reassurance and approval and admiration and celebration. It's really, I commend this to you. I approve this message. Sorry. I approve the story and it's meaningful to us in Christianity. And I don't mean to disparage that, but it can come across as a bit archaic and stilted. You're basically using a buzzword from 3000 year old Hebrew, not real common. But think about what it is that we're saying. And here's my concern with that. Greg, can you go ahead and cue up the first thing? Uh, I want to play for you a song. Just listen. Uh, just listen to the words. This is hallelujah. Now I've heard there was a secret And it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall The major lift, the baffled king Composing hallelujah Thank you. Those of you who were online, we might have had a, a thing where we couldn't play that, but that was Leonard Cohen's version of Alleluia. It's played all the time. It has so many different meanings. It's played in even Shrek, the cartoon movie, right? It's played as a breakup song. It was played at one of the national conventions for a political party. And people are like, why are you playing this? My point is that the meaning of this word has become so mixed. It's become co-opted by our culture. It speaks to falling for beautiful women. It speaks to frustration. It speaks to even when David is calming Saul's demons with music, he's tired of making music. It may or may not be religious. I don't know. Leonard Cohen was, was Jewish when he wrote this. And he definitely has undertones of cynicism and irony. And at one level, it's good. I'll, I'll leave it to you to make up with it however you want. At one level, in the highs or lows, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to say hallelujah. I like that message. At another level, 
I'm not sure I have faith in God, but I have faith in life. I'm going to just persevere. And I'm going to reconcile and embrace this whole mess. That's what I mean. That's what Leonard Cohen said. So there's many kinds of hallelujahs, but it's quite ambiguous. And the culture has co-opted our word, and it's no longer focused on God. Then that kind of frustrates me. Again, I want to play one other hallelujah for you. And I want to then wrap it up. So if we can go ahead and do this. Again, those of you online, that was Leonard Cohen's version of Hallelujah. Wonderful song. I love the song. It's very thoughtful. This next one is Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus. It makes me cry when I listen to it. Blast it. kind of like classical old school music but that was a choir of I think 2,000 people and it blasted folks and, and if you've ever been to one of those in person it, it's earth-shattering that is a foreshadowing of what the end of the age is going to be like thousands millions upon millions of people praising God and that song is very clear on who is to be praised for the Lord God is our king, and he will reign forever and ever. Let me tell you this. That song was written when Handel was broke. He was facing debtor's prison, and his friend gave him a little novella pointing him to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, there was a society that wanted to do a fundraiser to, of all things, f help free men from debtor's prison in the 1700s. And he comes up with this in that depth. And then it was a success for a year, and then it got quiet, and then it took eight more years before it finally took off, and it just blasted Europe, and it, actually some think it led to a couple revivals. Because this guy was in facing debtor's prison, and his friend said, here's a little book, a novella, or an R day, R day, let me point you to a video on Right Now Media, let me point you to this movie, pointing to Jesus, and that saved Handel from prison and gave us that. I want to know who his friend is and say, right on. Thank you, dude. Thank you. I would love for someone here or someone watching 
or even someone upstairs to speak this particular word, the word hallelujah, in a way for our time and place that blasts our culture and takes advantage of the opportunity we have. That's my prayer as I just said it out loud. Someone here listening, watching, take this, take this word hallelujah, because you need to know who the Christ is before you're a Christ follower, and you have to understand the gospel. And if you got that, then you can say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, in a way that's going to rock the culture, blast the culture, impact the culture we live in. That's my prayer. So maybe we should take that word back from Shrek. Maybe we should take it back and then simply say, thank God, praise God, God is amazing. Let's get back to some more familiar words and understand this. So I've rambled on and on. I need to wrap up. Let me summarize. We all use jargon, even in Christianity. Okay. Let's not let that jargon keep others from knowing about the love of God. Okay? And maybe we can be creative in how we talk about what God has done for us without resorting back to that jargon.